So, uh, <laughs> so it says, I thought using loops was cheating. So I programmed my own using samples. I then thought using samples was cheating. So I recorded real drums. I then thought that programming it was cheating. So I learned to play drums for real. Then I thought using bot drums was cheating. So I learned to make my own. Then I thought using pre-made skins was cheating. So I killed a goat and skinned it. I then thought that that was cheating too. So I grew my own goat from a baby goat. I also think that is cheating, but I'm not sure where to go from here. I haven't made any music lately. What with the goat farming and all. Hello and welcome to the EDM Prod Podcast. I'm Sam Mettler and with me is my co-host Levi Whalen. How are you, man? I'm doing good, man. How is everyone else doing? Silence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we should we should do this live at some point. I mean, that would be a that would oh, be oh, yeah, that'd cool. be sweet. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, this is the first episode, and I just kind of want to, you know. We, we should introduce ourselves for starters, I think. I mean, for people who don't know you, and I'm sure there's going to be, you know, a couple who have come from elsewhere. Um, who are you? What do you do? Uh, all that kind of stuff. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, as Sam said, uh, my name's Levi Whalen. I uh, live here in the United States and uh, been producing uh, electronic music since 2003. And um, in that time, just kind of you know, focusing in on the genres that I love, which is trance and house music. Um, and in the more recent years, been more focused on equipping producers to make music. Uh, and, uh, you know, somehow I've been blessed with the ability to teach. And uh, people have said that I um, can explain things in a way that makes it easy for them to understand. And so I try to use that skill uh, in order to help other people to be better producers and to think outside the box with their um, business side of of uh, production, and so that's what I'm doing, and so that's why I'm here. What about you, Sam? What's what's your story? I mean, just just before I get into Maestro, that's that's awesome, and I mean, like the the business side is really important, and it's something that a lot of uh, producers neglect. Yeah, the fact that you started making music in 2003 is a bit a bit scary to me because, I mean. I can't even remember. That was I was eight years old. Like I didn't even know what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thirteen. I was thirteen. So you know, not not too far ahead of you. Yeah, just five years. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Um, yeah. So I'm Sam Mettler and uh, run EDM Prod. And like, there's not that much to it. I make music, uh, trance in house, similar to you. And yeah, I just have a, a passion for teaching people. Um, teaching people to make better music, overcome creative problems and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I want to get into why, you know, why this podcast has, I've decided to start it. I mean, I kind of always wanted to do a podcast for EDM Prod, but I think the only thing that was stopping me was uh, sheer laziness. <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's that's honesty and you know one day i think it was a couple of weeks back i kind of thought well maybe a talk show would be nice because there are other podcasts out there that that uh are interview based and that's awesome yep and i thought why not do a talk show you talk about a particular topic or 
set of topics and you came to mind instantly because i mean you run your own podcast obviously yeah uh, the dance music makers podcast and the other thing was like we you interviewed me on 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 episode i think was episode two it was two yep episode two two yeah and like i remember you saying we were talking and and then you said oh we're gonna wrap it up now and i was thinking we could have kept going for hours (laughs) i know i know (laughs) you know it was such good discussion and i think yeah uh, yeah i think we we've had a lot of other conversations and it it seems to work well so i mean that's why i contacted you and i just want to thank you for uh for doing this for agreeing to be a part of it for sure man yeah it's a blessing to me i mean every time we talk i feel like i come away with with some more you know stuff to work with and and always get into good deep conversations about things and you know it's like oh i wish we would have been able to hold on to that you know yeah so exactly it's i'm excited to be here and excited for uh, what people will get out of our conversations and you know hopefully people will get involved and uh you know help us steer the show and see what people want out of out of our conversations yeah yeah definitely i think you know i mean i i listen to a lot of podcasts and um i really do like the the well not episodes but podcasts where it's just two people going deep into topics that you wouldn't really expect them to um yeah and it's kind of like you're in the room with them and that's kind of what i want to create here uh something that people can listen to you know while they're doing housework or while they're driving to work or something like that and learn at the same time Um, exactly so that's kind of the the whole point of it and it's kind of it's going to consist of two things so the podcast uh well at the moment it's going to be twice weekly we're going to do this talk show once a week uh with you and i talking about something or a set of things and then in between that there'll be interviews with artists and, and other people um so that's the plan but obviously you know that this could change and uh as people give feedback uh it could kind of grow and evolve so you know if you're listening uh, and you have feedback to give, please do send it in. Uh, that would be awesome. Is there anything else you want to you want to add to that, Levi? I think that's pretty good. I mean, I'm always one to to uh, elicit feedback early and get people's you know reactions and you know maybe they don't like something that we talk about or whatever, and then well we'll deal with that. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, there's there's yeah. got to be stuff that. Uh, hopefully makes people feel a little bit uncomfortable sure. because you know part of uh, part of education is kind of dispelling myths which is actually what we're going to do in uh, in this episode but yeah i mean feedback feedback's really appreciated um just don't send in an email saying this podcast sucks without any constructive criticism because that's going to be ignored but uh anything else is awesome for sure cool let's get into it yeah i mean i i was struggling to come up with the topic for this first episode and then you know i kind of thought presets been on my mind recently uh for the past well a couple of months actually um so you know like the the edm production community is is good but it can be quite harsh at times and often i see some producers um you know someone will open up a discussion talking about sound design or presets and a few people will chime in saying that you know using presets is cheating or stupid or bad um i mean 
and I really want to talk about this. I think we can unpack this in detail. Yeah. And I think we should start with this whole idea that presets are cheating. I mean, I what do you think about that? Just that the, the, the phrase presets are cheating, using presets is cheating. You know, I think that um, producers can develop a lot of pride because it is a really hard skill to learn to produce music well. And so... It, it takes years to get to the point where you really start to feel like you're at the level that you want to be. And, you know, at, at an early age, at an early age and an early stage in the production journey, there's a lot of co- um, comparison that happens because you're, you're wanting to be good and you're wanting to be, you want to sound like maybe someone else that you like. Mm. And so you're always trying to compare yourself against them. And, you know, I think um, at a deep level, we just, we want to be, known and we want to be known for work that um we can say i did this and so if you're using someone else's um sound then you can't really take credit for that at you know at a at a deep level and so um i think a lot of that is really just pride and um you know what what do you what do you think about that sam so i mean just just to kind of clarify are you talking about Let's say someone someone's a producer and you know they're they're okay the experience and they see someone else post a track um, and they listen to it and it's impressive and there's like a little bit of a little tinge of jealousy there because they've been producing for you know less time or whatever and then this person says they use presets and they automatically enter that mindset of well that you didn't create the full song sure kind of sure thing. I mean yeah. is that what you were alluding to or yeah I mean I mean maybe that and also just the fact that um you know as a producer i want to make something that's mine i want to make something that represents me and if someone else made the sound that i'm using it's not really you know a reflection on me yeah and so but you know the 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 funny thing about that is as i'm sure we can get into later on but it's like if you if you at at the beginning are only using sounds that you're making, you're probably not going to make very good sounding music. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because exactly. You know, like as you're just learning these skills, sounds are sound design is one of the hardest parts, I think, of production. It can be at least. Um, you know, it's one of I mean there's it's all hard. It's all it's all challenging. But um developing your sound and I know we're, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. No, it's good. It's good. But um, I, I, I think that, you know, at first, how can you not use presets? Because I don't want every song to have just a, just a initialized, you know, sawtooth <laughs> as a lead, you know, like in all my synths are just saws and that's all it is, you know, but it's funny because a lot of, a lot of um, popular dance music, that's all they do use, which is kind of funny, <laughs> funny little, little uh, note there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I can relate to this. Um, I try to avoid using presets personally, okay. actually, um, simply because for me, the sounds that I use are very, like they really dictate my my signature sound. Like the sounds are what really makes it my my sound. And so if I'm just using a preset, it's not really, you know, going to reflect me. Um, 
However, I think presets can be really useful if you're in a, in a creative bind mm. and you're like, I don't even know where to go with this track. Then you just load up a synth and just kind of scroll through things until you find something that maybe isn't what you had originally thought, but now it takes the track down a whole nother direction. And so, you know, I, I'm the kind of person that I can debate with myself all day on a topic and, and have both sides of the conversation, you know, have valid points. So you're not going to get a yay or nay on presets out of me (laughs) because I can argue both sides. So, you know, I think to begin with, it's great. Um, you, there's nothing else you can really do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, as far as cheating, you know, um, I don't remember what track it was, but a couple of years back, there was a popular um, song from one of the three from Swedish House Mafia, and um, the bass line was a sample. It wasn't even a preset. That was that was uh, yes, yeah, Steve Angelo Ness. Yeah, and, and and so you know, I hear that a lot actually. Like I'm I'm going through going through loops and in, in like a in like a percussion loop pack. I'm like, oh, I've heard that before in like a popular song and it's like you know tell them that that's cheating but they're the ones who are making millions of dollars off this stuff you know so it's like what what, do you give up your soul when you use these things i don't think so i think you can use whatever's out there and you're not stealing it because it's a copyright free sound so why not use what's available right yeah you know and sometimes there's workflow things that can speed things up it's like well here's a preset or a sample that sounds exactly like what I'm looking for. Yeah. Or I could spend three months trying to learn how to make that sound and then reproduce it exactly how it is right here, you know, just for the sake of saying that it was me who made it instead of finding it and using it. I was going to say, like, that's that's really interesting. And one thing comes to mind, two things come to mind. Like, is there a significant difference between, say, Daft Punk uh, sampling a song and and Steve Angelo using a loop, you know, but no one no one criticizes Daft Punk. And if you if you actually know anything about the music industry and the history of music, people have been sampling for decades. Oh, exactly. Look at the Prodigy. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, I mean, I think every almost every popular song that's on the radio has a sample from something else. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah like yeah. I was. I was in the I was in Starbucks today and I even I heard um I heard some old song in it from the 90s and it had like a synth line in it and I realized that a song that I knew that came later it was the same sound it was sampled from the original and I was like oh that's actually from that song and not that wasn't the original and it's just you know it it happens all the time so people need to realize producers need to realize that I mean, really nothing is original, (laughs) you know, it's all kind of a conglomeration of what you've listened to. And even if it is those, those exact compositions, like the recordings themselves or not, you know, I mean, there's been tons of times where I've heard a track and like, I feel like I've heard this before, (laughs) you know, there's, there's not that many combinations of (laughs) chord progressions that work in music theory. You know, it's not like there's an unlimited chant you know choice there's a limited ability to create combinations of sounds together and more often than not there are songs that sound similar and it's just the way that it is yeah for i'm glad sure. you can't yeah. i'm glad you can't copyright a chord progression <laughs> <'Cause> like <laughs> no one would be making 
any good music nowadays if if there if you could do that exactly there's that uh oh you know i forgot what it's called but it's these two guys i think and they just they play a number of songs on guitar and singing and it's just the same four chords uh, oh yeah the whole thing i'll try yeah i'll put put the uh the video on the show notes but it's you watch it and you're kind of like wow especially when it comes to pop music yeah um, they pretty much use the same chord progression yeah i think i've seen that i think i've seen that it's like a medley of like 30 different songs and it's the same chord progression from the 90s (laughs) yeah yeah exactly you know the the other thing that kind of um that i thought about while you were talking about that there's a documentary i'm I'm sure you've seen it it's called everything is a remix by kirby ferguson Ah, i think i have seen that so you know he talks about um how all these you know film directors musicians bands have all kind of stolen stolen something yeah Uh, there's probably a better word um but you know people people think oh okay led zeppelin for example you know they they were completely original but what he what he does is he shows that stairway to heaven which is obviously you know by far the most popular song one of the most popular songs um in history and he says you know, he, he says, here's a song that came up before Stairway to Heaven. Led Zeppelin knew these guys and you listen to the guitar riff and it sounds very, hmm. very similar. Mm-hmm. But no one kind of, you know, looks at Led Zeppelin and goes, oh, they're stealing. <laughs> right. Um, but I don't know, like it's, it's a really good documentary to watch and, and you watch it and you kind of feel a little bit less um, concerned about being influenced by, by certain things, especially presets and samples. Yeah. Well, there's a whole concept too of music being a a a artistic cr- um, critique of the industry. You know, what do you mean by that? Like songs, like a song can be a statement about the about the industry at large or about the current scene. Like there have been, you know, Knife Party a lot of their songs kind of poke fun at the state of dance music. Um, EDM, EDM trend machine is one that comes to mind, which is hilarious. If you don't understand like dance music culture, it totally goes over your head. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is like 2014, the big room house sound, the, the quote unquote progressive house, which is not progressive no, house. Not. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a whole other story. But that sound took over so hard and and then suddenly everyone decided that that was done like months after the people who knew anything about anything knew it was done um (laughs) that was a little conceited sounding but i feel like it's true um and then suddenly it's deep house yeah and and the funny thing is is they they made this track which to me satirizes the whole concept and so like it's going and then it builds and then the drop comes in for like a quarter note it sounds like it's a like a big room drop and then it goes right into a deep house like you know 90s kind of sounding thing and it's hilarious if you know what what they're saying about that it it just the first time i heard that i was laughing because it was like this is so true and they're making a statement with that and so i think that sometimes music can can be more than just a composition or just a song it can be a statement about what the artist really thinks they're artists that's the thing is we have to realize that this is art and mm. you know nothing is really sacred <laughs> in in this um in this medium 
you know, you should be able to feel free to do whatever you want to do. And so I think that's another aspect of it that um, we can think of it in those terms. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really interesting. I didn't, I didn't really think of it like that as in, in terms of a statement. But if you think about it, like a lot of music is like that. And it's not just, I mean, um, there are bands that are dedicated to making a statement. Like Rage Against the Machine, for example. Right, yeah. Um, you know, they're a political band. They, their music is about political issues or Eminem, you know, which I think one, one of his albums was completely dedicated to um, ripping into the music industry um so it's just stuff like that and you know being you get kind of stuck in this edm bubble and you, you kind of think oh yeah music's only made for dancing but then you have knife party who bring out this this edm trend machine and it's kind of like okay it's interesting actually um that's a yeah it's really smart now it's kind of funny when it comes to presets like there's a good everyone's seen it it's, it went viral on the internet but it's you know it's basically saying um someone told me that making presets was cheating so i decided to make my own and then someone told me that i was using you know a pre-made simp so i had to code my own and he ends up like skinning the goat um <laughs> you yeah know, and I th- <laughs> let me find that i want to find that because it's so funny yeah find it find it and, and we'll read it out um because that's i mean that's so true you know you have to like not not many bands make their own guitars and drum kits right they don't make them from, from from scratch. So, I mean, when it comes to, yeah, there's a, a, obviously a significant difference between the bedroom producer and a band. It's a much more uh, diverse and encompassing craft. But even then, I, I just don't see how you can say using presets is cheating. Like it's such a, it's such a small part. Yeah. So I, I you, fi- you found it? Yeah, I found it. So, uh, it <laughs> so it says, I thought using loops was cheating. So I programmed my own using samples. I then thought using samples was cheating, so I recorded real drums. I then thought that programming it was cheating, so I learned to play drums for real. Then I thought using bot drums was cheating, so I learned to make my own. Then I thought using pre-made skins was cheating, so I killed a goat and skinned it. I then thought that that was cheating too, so I grew my own goat from a baby goat. I also think that is cheating, but I'm not sure where to go from here. <laughs> I haven't made any music lately, what with the goat farming and all. Oh, that's... It's just the best thing ever. It's hilarious. <laughs> and it's so true. You know, we get so wrapped up in this thought of like, we're doing the wrong thing because reason. You know, who cares what the reason is? But it's not about the wrong thing. It's like, what makes you create something? Then do that. You know, like when I first started making music, before I even used any DAW, I was using, and I'm sure people will relate to this because I've heard people talk about this, MTV Music Generator for the PlayStation. I was making songs with that out of loops and, you know, just weird sounds and learning how to, how to construct, you know, arrangements. Mm-hmm. And none of it was my own. You know, it was just all these little samples and loops and you just put it together. And then, um, you know, I did get Fruity Loops later and I was also at that same time using Sony Acid a little bit and doing the same thing with with finding sam- um, like loops and then just arranging them. And that was really fun, you know, and I was creating and I was having fun. I was enjoying I was enjoying what I was doing. But I think we sometimes think about it way too much. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And what's the end result? 
I think we get to think about that too. So here, I've got a question. What's one of your favorite dance music songs of all time? Oh gosh. Just just any. Uh, oh, put me on the spot like that. Oh uh, shoot. Um It doesn't have to be your favorite, but just a song that you know is is a considered a classic. I was going to say um Alice DJ um one of one of her songs better from the nineties, better, better off alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. of course. So, that that's like a classic. Yeah, yeah. So you don't. Let's assume that that you know the main lead in that song. Everyone knows how it goes. Uh, is a preset. Does that like? Does that lower the, um, the awesomeness of the song? Such a bad word. No, but, you know, like it no, doesn't. Because now I want. Because now I want that preset. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but you know, you don't. It's not like people listen to music, and they're kind of thinking oh if if this song uses a preset i'm gonna think less of it like people don't think that way so why why do producers get into this mindset it just it baffles me um you know when i when i do think about that when i when i find myself getting caught up in the well i I didn't make this sound so i shouldn't use it i think do guitar players think that like i should have made this guitar like i can't just play it and let it you know like i i grew up in i grew up um in the classical music you know thing and um it's like i don't want to make a trombone like i just want to play it and like the thing about classical music is the sounds don't ever change (laughs) you know like you're playing a trombone that's what it is it's not going to be something else and so you have to learn how to use that for what it is and you know it's just funny how we get so weird about this stuff with electronics music i don't know yeah i I mean it's uh, at the end of the day it's just if you look at it from like a bird's eye view, uh, making a a track, it's it's quite a small thing because you need to compose the music, you need to arrange the song, you need to you know work out how your tension and energy in the song is actually going to work. Uh, you need to mix it down. You need to get it mastered, and then it's like, well, I need to make my own presets too. Do you? I don't think you do. I think it's. I mean, we're, we're going to get to the uh, you know the the benefits of not using presets you know i'm definitely not trying to advocate that um if people are comfortable not using presets then they should use them but i think you know i just wanted to dispel that myth um which i I think is really important because what can happen is you know you can have a producer who's using presets and he's making awesome music someone comes along and says you're cheating Uh, and so he spends all this time on sound design doesn't really enjoy it and it impedes on his creativity or his production sessions and uh, his music suffers because of it. You know, that's why I really wanted to talk about that. Um, Now, one other thing which I find really interesting, I was at a a music conference in Melbourne uh, a few months back and someone asked, uh, what do you think about like designing presets like i design all my own presets i think it's really important what do you guys think and there were quite a few people on the panel like Audien, um ivan goff a lot of people and i forgot who it was but she said it's a waste of time mm. so we're talking about professional producer here. yeah yeah and she just said it's a waste of time like when especially when you're a professional and you're and this doesn't go for everyone i'm just talking about a few um professionals but you know you're touring you're you're super busy 
and your your end goal is to make music that people like. Right. There's like using presets seems like a no brainer to some of these people. Yeah. Um, and this kind of this makes a lot of sense because when I used to work for for David at Freshly Squeeze Samples, um, you know, some of the customers, some of our customers were some like the top names like Armand Van Buren, like him and Benno use presets. Yeah. Um, you know, Thrill Seekers, like all these people, they all use presets. So how can how can you say presets are cheating when you've got like the top of the top producers who are incredibly talented um, using presets? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, like, there's you know other aspects of production that you can express creativity and, and originality in that doesn't have anything to do with the original source sound. You know, like the way that I've seen um, in interviews that Skrillex has done the way that he produces is way not from a original sound design perspective. It's like he finds a sound that he likes and then he trashes the crap out of it and bounces it down to audio like three different times. And then, and then, uh, you know, does some more effects to it and then, and then chops it up. And then now it's, now it's his sound, you know, but it had nothing to do with going in there and adjusting the filter cutoff of this parameter and, you know, these voicings, it had nothing to do with that stuff. It was just making some sound and then mangling it and doing this to that. And, you know, there's, there's so much more that you can do with a sound than just altering the original, you know, from a, from a programming perspective. Oh yeah. And I, I think that's, that's an excellent point. I mean, uh, presets do really only get you so far, you know, you normally you'll need to layer them, um, which is a skill in itself layering presets and being able to like one thing being able to actually choose the right presets i mean is massive um working out how a particular sound will will uh, work with another sound like the chemistry between them uh typically you have to tweak presets to actually fit with your song so i think like an important point here is that a basic understanding of sound design is really important i think we can all agree on that um and it's not hard to learn basic sound design that, you know you can spend a day learning the the basics and then do a bit of practice and you understand you know that if you move a filter cutoff or a filter cutoff envelope um that it's going to adjust the sound or change the characteristic of the sound in uh you know such a way yeah i think those are necessary things for people to learn even if they don't go much deeper than that but you know in most dance music there has to be a progression throughout the song and if your sound stays the same the whole time it's not gonna go anywhere you know and so a lot of those times the filter cutoff is a lot to do with that you know you start out with the sound that's a little bit more closed and it's not quite so big and then you know you're building and you open it up more and then it's full on for the chorus or the drop or whatever you call it you know yeah so exactly and i I just so like dead mouse a lot of his old tracks um you know it's it's progressing constantly and the, the filter cutoff is uh, rising over sometimes 32 bars now i've i've seen people ask questions you know how do i replicate that effect and a basic understanding of sound design kind of negates such like the question like if you if you understand the basics of synthesis you don't need to ask that question you know that if you open up the filter uh, more high frequencies are going to come in. So, right. What's that whoosh? What's that whooshing sound? 
Same. <laughs> whooshing sound. <laughs> yeah, how do I make, how do I make the whoosh sound? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, so yeah, I think that's important. Like, definitely learn. If you're listening to this and you don't know basic sound design, uh, you've got some work to do because it's really yeah, important. If you, if you still want to know what that whooshing sound is, <laughs> you got to, you know, uh, Twitter, you know, tweet me because I, I I can help with that. <laughs> but you got to yeah, start yeah. working on that, you know. Exactly. Sidechain compression. You have to know what that means. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, I think, you know, a, a good a good thing to talk about regarding your process is kind of like, because first of all, there are producers out there, professional producers who make their own sounds. Um, I'm pretty sure, you know, people like Matt, so uh, Cone Sound, Noisier, they all make their own sounds, right? So I think in, in some respects, it kind of depends on your goals. If you want to be known as a Matzo or, um, you know, a Noisier, then it's, it probably pays to, to design your own sounds from scratch because especially in that style of music, there is kind of this, um, well, I don't, I don't know, I'm not in that community, but I feel like there's kind of this intense pressure on designing your own sounds from scratch. I feel like it's yeah. just a, an intrinsic part of that kind of scene. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, so I mean, I reckon it depends on your goals. If you want to create, um, you know, music, like really emotional music, like a, a trance track, um, especially the old school trance, if you want to write awesome melodies and songs, probably not as important that you design your own sounds from scratch because it's not the it's not the focus of the song, right? Right. The right. melody is. When you kind of traverse into that, um, bass music and, and mm-hmm. the more complex kind more of textural. stuff. Yeah. yeah, then it's it's a lot more important. So I think, you know, I, I think it's probably a bad idea to make a blanket claim. Um, yeah, I, I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think, you know, you boil it down pretty well. I think the more technical the music is, the more it matters um, your sound design. However, I tend to feel like there's this such a there's such a emphasis on sound design like with bass music and you know more of those complex genres that artists pigeonhole themselves because they develop this sound over you know a few releases and then they don't move on okay but you know like Koan Sound they've done a pretty good job recently they re- they they released an EP a couple months ago that I I love um and so they've departed a bit from their earlier days and yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. glad that they're progressing, but sometimes artists don't move on and they, they stay. I mean, uh, Mord Fustang put out an album, I think last year or the beginning of this year. I can't quite remember, but it sounded exactly like the, the old stuff, you know, from 2010 or 11, I think it was, um, when Electra was really the hot, the hot thing. Um, and I'm like, man, it's too bad because I, I liked your style. And if you kept going with, with, you know, developing that more. Um, but, but like you said, you know, when the melody is, is more key, um, it's, I think it's, it's less important. Um, but at the same token, here I am again, debating with myself, but, um, there's a producer called Haywire. Oh yeah. 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 And, um, he, He's a master of design, of sound design and melodies and melody. And yeah, he's yes, insane. Yeah, and he has a very distinct sound, but 
every song sounds very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you when you hear a new one, you're like, oh, I th- I'm pretty sure this is Haywire just because yeah. of the chords, the content, you know, the kind of arrangement that he does. It's amazing. Um, I mean, love I love that guy's stuff. I think we should go down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. Sure. And just talk about a signature sound or a distinct sound. Because uh, this is what a lot of people struggle with. And, like, you know, I got an email. Um, I get quite a few emails from this people especially new producers that you know they say they struggle with it i think first of all um if you're like a relatively new producer i think it's something you shouldn't really worry about yeah i don't think because yeah because it it does take a a fair amount of time to get to the point where your music sounds good you can be able to make good music that's not unique right but i think what people like to do and i'm probably guilty of this at some point is kind of you know put um a signature sound down to one thing in particular like presets or yeah. um, mixing or something like that I think it's a combination of so many things um, I think that's what makes a signature sound so like you just said with Haywire you know he designs his own sounds two tracks from him can sound completely different yet at the same time you can you can notice these similarities and you can notice that it's him I want to dig deeper into that a little bit more with what you said about um, producers not getting so concerned with their sound so early um just to just to keep hitting that home because people might not believe you when you said that um i'm gonna draw a parallel between this and um cooking so if you're just learning how to cook you're not gonna like no one's gonna care that you have a signature if you can't cook Mm. like who cares that you like plate you know you plate things a certain way and you use this this technique to like cook your eggs or whatever. But like, if it doesn't taste good, who 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 cares? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. But like, you have to reach that level where you're actually creating something that people like first mm. before you can actually like, you know, create art out of it. It's like Skrillex. He, I, I know I keep going back to him, but like he 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 is such a poster child for like how to do the music industry right yeah yeah. he really is because he he's worked his butt off for years and the first like ep or kind of um collection that he put out i think was like 2010 um with under the skrillex name Mm -hmm. and um it wasn't at all what it is now not at all it was like mostly like house remixes of like lady gaga tracks and stuff like that yeah and it wasn't even dubstep or what's now like I guess you could call like post dubstep or just bass music, you know, in general. Uh, I think is, they call it bro step these days. Right. But like <laughs> even he's not even really doing that no, so much no, anymore. No. And then there's like a few tracks on his latest album, but most of it's like kind of I don't know what you'd even call it. It's just it's it's like his Good music. It's the next Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but but what I'm saying is like his sound has developed over the years and it only happened at a point where he was already mastering the art, you know, of what he was doing first. So that's all I want to say was like, yeah, don't rush to get your own signature. You can pick out through as you're going what you like and that'll define what your signature is. But if you're still like trying to figure out how to balance your kick and your bass and you know, you're trying to write still, still trying to figure out how to write melodies, you're probably not going to even be close to figuring out what your signature sound is. Yeah, no, no, that's just my that's my opinion on that. Oh, for sure, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, it's funny how you make a, an analogy 
between cooking and production because there are so many of them. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, like yeah. cooking yeah. and music production. I feel like, I feel like we could have actually called this podcast, you know, the EDM Chef or something like that. <laughs> Just talk about cooking analogies uh, for the whole episode. But it's interesting you say that, and I think, you know, one. In terms of the signature sound, I also think it's something that for most people is not a conscious development. So, mm. yeah, I interviewed uh, Santos, Santos yep. uh, mm-hmm. mo- slash Monoverse. Yeah, Monoverse. Yeah, yeah, for for the producer's guide to workflow and creativity. And, you know, one thing he said, I asked him about uh, his signature sound because he's got one, at least in my opinion. Um, you know i can listen to a track from him and go wow that's this has definitely got the monoverse sound you know the bass line and the melody and you know he said you know i didn't i didn't really consciously develop it it was something that happened organically um and i think for for most people that's what it is and and you know in some respects maybe that's a good reason not to worry about it because it's going to happen organically but then again maybe sometimes it doesn't i mean they're I, I won't list them, but I, there are a lot of producers out there who are at the top of their game and don't necessarily have a signature sound. Maybe that's because they're trying to fit themselves into a, a, a certain box or a certain style. I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting you know, point of discussion though. Yeah, I, I can say for myself, uh, it's developed you know, and it's not something that I've consciously thought of, but it's like, Hey, Mm. these are the kinds of sounds that I like to use. (laughs) And this is the, this is the way that I build into a drop, you know, it's just, yeah, it's the way that I like to make music. So it just kind of comes out every time is a variation on that method. And so, you know, people comment on SoundCloud tracks and like, yep, this is a Levi Whalen track, you know? And it's like, oh, I didn't even try that to to do that, but I have a signature sound. I even didn't even realize. But then I look back and I'm like, yeah, they all do kind of have a similar vibe to them, and people know that it's me, which is a great. It's a great sign when you have people telling you that. You know, I, I feel like that's a that's a good good uh, indicator for sure. It's um, you know what? It must be difficult have being a ghost producer and having a signature sound mm. <laughs> because yeah. that would be really hard to deal with. I was just thinking about that because. I've I've been playing with the idea of starting some new side projects. Yep. And I'm like, ooh, but people are going to know it's me because just because of the sound. But I, you know, there's so much music out there. If I if I don't repost it and if I if I don't say it's me, then maybe people will just other people will find it and they won't know that it traces back. But especially if it's very different style. But you know, for sure. Uh, you know, I think you mentioned something. Um talking about your signature sound and how you know you'll pick these certain sounds or lead into a build-up in a certain way i think that's exactly what it is it's, it's a lot of kind of decisions or like micro decisions that we kind of do subconsciously when we're producing um so for me like a really simple one and i've been doing it a lot recently is when i build up into a drop um sometimes like quite often in fact i put a reverb on the master channel uh, and pull down the size of the reverb oh, as it's building yeah. up. And what happens yeah. is it gives this kind of pitch rising effect. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. you know, a lot of, it's, it's subtle. A lot of people think, okay, that's just a part of the track. But little things like right. that combined with a ton of other things do contribute to a signature sound. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think a big one is um, just picking samples, like drum samples. Like I've, I've watched quite a few in the studio videos and I don't know if you, you kind of go through this, but you'll be watching the producer pick samples and you're just thinking, oh, I don't like that clap or I don't like that hi-hat. But it works for them, and it works for yeah. for the listeners. Um, yeah, and it works with their with their track too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I mean, <laughs> like, I, I know when I'm producing, I almost always kind of end up um, picking very similar samples. You know, like I have a a slight dislike for or distaste for um, heavy hi hats, uh, for example. So I won't pick them. And I think those you know little things over time, over many years have massive impact on on your sound and it's very hard to get out of that i think too and make something just completely opposite but that i think that would actually be just go off on a bit of a tangent a very interesting uh creative experiment to try to do things that you're you wouldn't normally do so oh you're getting me inspired now i want to go i want to go play <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i'm probably going to try this after but i mean you know so for example if you're trying to find a kick um and you know normally you'd be scrolling through your 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 kicks folder and you you know you play one and you you, oh it just doesn't sound that good but it's a good kick um yeah so you drag that in and so you're trying to work with sounds that you're not you normally wouldn't or that kind of you don't really like but you know are actually good um objectively that would be interesting yeah 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 that's a good plug let's uh i just want you to talk actually we'll be a weekend at this point never mind then what's that continue you can edit that out if you want to i was going to mention the the uh the uh daily um what's it called the the thing you have going in august oh the loop challenge yeah but we'll be, we'll be oh, a week no we can at, at, i mean we can talk about goes. that's yeah so it's the okay. first well it's the first so we're not going to edit no, that no, out no, no. <laughs> i don't i don't really okay. want to edit all this right. show i think it's good okay to, uh, okay all right we're, we're good <laughs> cool all right. <laughs> um, no, it's good. It's good you brought it up because I had actually planned to to quickly talk about it. I mean, yeah, the the loop challenge. Um, why were we talking about this again? Oh, right. It's yeah, because we're th- you're talking about doing something new. So something new. Yeah, that's that. what it is. I mean, that's um, it, it. Again, comes down to a workflow thing. But one of the points uh, that I included in the loop, the August loop challenge article was you know when you're making a loop and you're not you've got no kind of pressure to turn it into a full song and you're only spending 20 minutes on it you can get really creative um because there's no there's no pressure like do whatever you want yeah yeah i was was just gonna say like when i um if i get given a remix contract um which these days isn't happening much because i'm not i'm not um producing i'm not really focusing on myself as an artist but if I did tomorrow, like I would be kind of, I'd kind of stay in the safe zone, you know, it might be a good way to call it. Like doing a remix, you know, you've got a little bit of pressure, you've got a deadline maybe. Um, and people normally give you a remix contract because of your sound. So it's, I don't know, like personally, I would find it much more difficult to be creative in that kind of situation. Whereas if you're just working on a loop and it's kind of like, especially when you're a part of a collective which i think is a good thing about this uh this challenge you know everyone's spending 20 minutes on a loop at least hopefully some people will cheat but you know that's just how it is um and you know no one's expecting it to sound amazing 
it's 20 minutes like i made a loop today because it's it's august the first here in new zealand and you know it it, it doesn't sound that flash yeah. <laughs> um so yeah like that's that's a really good point uh i think even if you're listening to this months down the track maybe give it a go maybe just commit to um that habit of, of spending yeah, yeah. 15 or 20 minutes on a loop every day and, and trying to get outside of that box and, and work on something different. Yeah, I don't remember. It was a it was a hip-hop producer talking about, I think it might have been Kanye even. He's talking about how the tracks that he produces are the result of thousands of ideas. I can't find the quote, but he was talking about how he got to the level that he did because he made such a, a volume of work that just the amount of time he put in producing, there's no way he couldn't have ended up where he did just because of how much time he spent working. And that speaks a lot. I mean, I feel like in this age, we want everything now and we want everything as soon as possible and with as little work as possible and instead i think we should start focusing on just putting the work in and being consistent with with our time and so with your loop challenge it's like that creates an opportunity for you to be in the studio every day whether your studio is just your laptop or whatever um but it it creates that that time that you have set aside just for that and this is to me it's like an invitation to make that a daily part of your life after the month is over you know it's like look you just did this so now why can't you do this all the time oh i can because i've just made a month habit out of it you know what's what's really funny i didn't actually think of it in that way but that's that's like really that's a really good idea i mean um in terms of habit building i know some people say it takes 21 days or however long i don't really right. care how long yeah, yeah. it takes that's not important but no i know but um i just want to build a yeah, habit yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah I, th- I i really think consistency and look 20 minutes a day is nothing i i i would uh, find it hard to believe that there's anyone listening to this that can't spare 20 minutes a day sure um yeah and if you uninterrupted though yeah uninterrupted <laughs> get off facebook exactly. for 20, exactly. 20, minutes. 20 minutes can you really do it can you do it <laughs> um but so it's not hard to commit to right and this is i don't want to get too deep into building habits but i mean uh, a lot of what i've read you know they uh, they advocate to to when you're building habits make it as easy as possible so that's i that's where the 20 minute figure came from you know it could have been an hour a day which is actually really hard to, to commit to um and even half an hour is actually quite a bit of time 20 minutes just actually seems short to most people um you know so it's 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 not hard yeah it's easy to commit to and it's also a consistent thing it's a daily thing and i think that over time um like I'll, I'll say straight up that I don't think you can become a great producer only making music for 20 minutes a day, only making loops for 20 minutes a day. Um, I think there's definitely value in the long production sessions where you get really deep. Oh, yeah. And you get into yeah. that state of flow. Get lost in it. Yeah, like that's yep, really important. Exactly. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. at the same time, like a, a lot of producers struggle with this idea of consistency and just doing something creative for 20 minutes a day. Like it's it's really good. And I think coming up with an idea like coming up with an eight bar loop is an idea that's pretty much all it is you're not arranging a track you're not mixing it down 
um, you're just coming up with an idea. So you've got, I know um, who talks about it. There's a guy called James Altucher who runs a podcast, and you know you know who he is. Yeah, and he's uh, he talks about this, you know, this idea um, of having an idea muscle, and you know you need to you need to build your idea muscle. And he recommends coming up with ten ideas a day, that uh, which is hard. Now, I think coming up with ten loops a day would be incredibly hard, and I don't think it's a good idea because you'll just burn yourself out. But Coming up with one idea a day, seven days a week, very doable. Yeah, doable, doable. And a good benefit is that it gives you so many, like a bank of ideas to play with and develop if you want to. It just solves that problem of not having any ideas um, to, to develop. Yeah, I think I think to you know even expand on it is, yeah, month one, you do 30 loops a day. And now next month you take four of those and you spend a week on each one, you know? And then by the end of that month, you have a four track EP that's, that's done, you know? So that's, that's a a way to work through that. I mean, out of 30 loops, you're going to find hopefully at least four that you like, you know, or that you feel like have a lot of potential to be fully fleshed out tracks. And I know you, you did an EP challenge last year. Or earlier this year? So, yeah, we... Yeah. Oh, no, EP Challenge happened last year, I think. Okay. So, that was yeah. a different thing entirely, but a lot yeah. of people like that too. I think I'm going to do that at some point. Not sure when, but... Yeah. You know, it's... it's. I think it's good to get... Make it a community event and get people For involved because sure. there's a sense of accountability. Yeah. Um, now, you, you touched on something pretty cool, which was, you know, you've got a bank of 30 loops and you can actually pick the best ideas from there. I think that's good because, you know, sometimes, I mean, I'm sure you've felt this, you know, you you come up with an idea and it's not one of those ideas that really excite you, but you work on it anyway. And it's kind of like you're running uphill the whole time and there's no, (laughs) the hill just keeps going. It's endless and you never finish. Um, I feel like it can be easy to get stuck into that, uh, get stuck in that trap, working on, you know, mediocre ideas. Now, when you've got 30 loops, like it's very easy to kind of listen through them and, and straight away, you know, which ones are worth developing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, you can make a lot of analogies here. Um, oh, you know, I can't think of a cooking analogy. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure I'll, there is one. <laughs> I'll just jump in. I mean, I, um, I do run into that a lot. I find myself, you know, um, I'll come up with an idea and I want to stick to it because I, I, I have a struggle with finishing things in general yeah yeah <laughs> i like starting things i like i like seeing the end result but the middle process sucks <laughs> you know and and so uh you know i'll get on a track and then i'll flick over on my phone and start texting someone and then they'll just be listening to it for too long and then it just gets boring um and yeah i think there's a there's an aspect of it like you know burn what doesn't work you know (laughs) it's like you know artists will slash their canvases and you know it's like you have to prevent yourself from getting stuck so it's almost like this one's not working i'm almost i'm almost just going to delete it because then you're free you're free from that so now you can what do you what do you think about deleting projects i've done it because i feel like this is this is kind of a yeah it's it's a topic that um most people i've found uh always say never delete your projects yeah i'm i do it sometimes 
Um, mm. I, more often, more often than deleting projects, I will delete parts out of a project. Okay. So like, I'm I'll be hating some part and like trying to get it to fit, but then I'm like, you know what, this isn't feeling right, so I'll press delete and control S, and mm. then I have no option but to move forward. Mm. Mm. And oftentimes that's where the breakthrough happens because now I'm not trying to fight against this part, and now I'm saying, okay, now we're that part isn't even an issue now. So how can we work without that? And that's been a lot of times how, you know, tracks finally come together <laughs> for mm-hmm. me. Cause I'll be like, what is weird? Like, I don't know what's going on with this. And then I'm like, you know, this part just doesn't feel right. So instead of trying to massage it and make it fit, you just get rid of it. And then, Oh, now it just kind of clicks in a place. I was going to say there's kind of this, and I could be completely off the mark here because I'm not a psychologist, but there's this, uh, you know, humans, we have like this consistency bias. So once we do something or we align with something, it's very hard to kind of um, turn away from that. Now, if, you, if you're making a song and you spend like two hours on some sort of melody idea and that's <laughs> the thing that's holding your track back, it yeah. is very hard to delete. Oh, gosh. It is really yeah. difficult because, you know, you're so invested in it. But you, you got to do that sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I I have my projects uh, arranged by year. Okay. And uh, so every year I, I start a new folder. Yeah. And so I have, you know, on my current computer, I have back to 2011. Wow. And uh, so I'm like, ah, do I want to go? I mean, sometimes I go through those old projects and I find stuff. I'm like, oh, I loved that. That was a great idea. Now I have the skills that I need to actually make that that idea come to life. So, you know, sometimes I don't delete stuff because of that, you know, and, and, and that's one thing about the, the loop, the loop uh, challenge is that, yeah, those four that you might pick for the next month, if that's what you decide to do, um, those might be your favorite, but then like maybe two months later you go back through and you find, you know, four more that now they, those ones are resonating better with you and you have some ideas for those. Then you, you know, you keep, plucking from that from that pile and still there's no, until there's nothing left that you feel is worth pursuing. and you know even if even if you're you do carry on and do the 20 minutes thing a day you're, you're going to have like an it's a little bit daunting but you're going to have an endless supply of ideas basically sure yeah um yeah yeah i i mean i kind of align with that idea that like deleting full projects is a bad idea especially these days where you can spend you know fifty dollars get a nice external hard drive that fits plenty of, oh, yeah. of projects on it and just put them there and chuck it away in like your closet because at the end of the day, there's going to be a time and look, I have I have gone through like the massive uh, project purge before when I was younger and naive uh, <laughs> and I regret it because I mean, mm. there were ideas there that, you know, I could work on these days. Um, yeah. At the same time, though, it is. I think it's liberating to, you know, if you're bogged down in so many projects, to get them off your your production machine, um, at least. Yeah, I, th- I think there's something to be said for deleting projects that you don't really like. You know, it's like, yeah, keep the ones that you that you're working on, but then some are like, eh, that was never going to go anywhere. Just get rid of it. It doesn't because for me, all the projects I have are like crying out to me saying finish me work on me and the more i have the more that noise is like bearing down on me <laughs> so it's like a weird i don't know I'm, I'm a little bit crazy i guess but um i mean i'm working right now on a project that i started in 
2012, 2013, um, that I hadn't worked on for ever. Um, and it, it's, it's now kindly, you know, finally coming together. And so it's one of those weird things, you know, where it's like, it sits dormant for so long and then you get inspiration. I was flicking through my Instagram and I heard it and I was like, Oh, I never finished that. And so I, I went back and now now I'm working on it again. So anyway, yeah, that was a, that was a good, good little, uh, little rabbit trail. I think, uh, one, one, one thing you can do instead of deleting full projects is actually take out, and this is really time consuming, but it can be worth it is go into each project and take out the elements that you like. So for example, you might have a, a project that's just a loop and you don't like the main idea, you don't like the melody or the chord progression, but the drum loop is absolutely banging. Um, so you export the drum loop you know maybe it's just the top or the percussion without the kick but you export it and you put it in a folder of your own and the best thing about that is you kind of um it takes a bit of discipline to remember to actually do but you build your own library of sounds yeah uh, which you know if you wanted to uh, down the track you could sell it you could package it and sell it sure um so you kind of kill two birds with one stone so i think that's the other thing you know if you've got 50 projects sitting on your computer that you know you're not going to finish for whatever reason go into them you know maybe it's a preset that you've designed um or something like that and export it somewhere yeah and I, then delete the project if you want totally yeah i actually i haven't gone through the formal process of like developing a library of those sounds that i like to use um but what i do um do is i'll go into my projects because i know the sounds that are in them and like i'll pull the channels out the cool thing i love about ableton is you can I don't know if you've actually ever done this. You have to tell me if you have, but you can you you can actually browse your projects and open it up and pull individual tracks in from other from other projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like I know that there's a chord stab in one song that I love, and so I'll pull it in and delete the MIDI and then just write a new progression. I do that all the time, and and then like I'll tweak it and get it to match you know the the timbre of the new song yeah um but like i'll do that because i don't want to have to recreate it i know exactly how it sounded in that song and that's what i want i mean i did that with with a song that i had just finished um there's a big synth in the end that i pulled from another one of my other songs mm-hmm. that um the original is actually a preset <laughs> it's um it's actually a built-in ableton sound from one of their synths okay um and I just, you know, tweaked it a little bit and added all the effects that I wanted because that's, I do a lot of my processing outside of the synth. And so that was, you know, that was the main thing. Um, but yeah, and it was exactly what I wanted. And so it was like, okay, that's easy. And I've been building a lot of tracks that way. Like I'll, I'll open up a project, leave the drums and then remove all the MIDI from all the other instruments. And then just like, you know, arm them for recording and just play. And then I'll have a new progression and a new, you know, synth line come out of that. And it'll be a totally different song. And probably even at the end sound a lot different from the, from the first, from the first song. But that's been a workflow thing that I've started using lately. That's been really great for, yeah, for that's, keeping, keeping moving. That's really cool. It's, it's funny because I, I know that Ableton can do that, but oh, I just never use it. I never kind of think about it, mm. but I should probably mm-hmm. start start doing that. Um, now, I I want to change topic completely here. 
Uh, you posted in the EDM prod artist community group a while back a, a blog post, a Tumblr post from Dead Mouse. Um, can you just explain what what that was about? Yeah, so um, I'll actually pull it up really quick just so I can make sure I'm referencing it sure, right. Sure. But um, basically, you know, he, Joel's very uh, outspoken, as many <laughs> of us already know. <laughs> yeah. If we yeah. don't know, um, <laughs> and you know, he does not censor himself, which I I fully respect, and I I mm. you know I really value his perspective. Um, on the industry, even though it's he does go a bit over the top across the wrong way, but but it gets he gets his point across. Yeah, of course, know? I don't mind it. I'm not complaining. <laughs> um, yeah. So he, basically, the gist of it is that um, I'm kind of reading through it right here just to kind of get you know get yeah, my, yeah, sure. get my bearings yeah. on it. Um, but basically, he's talking about how the state of EDM performance is a little bit lacking in a lot of, um, in a lot of the scope, you know, in a lot of the environment right now. Um, a lot of the guys who are making millions of dollars off of these productions, like just from their, from their shows, from their touring and from their actual releases, um, they're showing up and just playing on CDJs, basically just playing, having, a computer or a device just playing back the song there's very little effort on their ha- on their part to actually perform it yet they're getting paid all this money yeah and yeah. you know would it really kill you to perform a little bit besides just putting your hands up and telling people to you know jump yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know like here here's the lead like watch watch me dance around mm. and uh you know because he he's been spending a lot of time recently on developing um his live show and other artists are going this to, this route more and i i love it and i was even in the car today i was thinking like how how can i do this more because i i use ableton when i'm performing mm-hmm. and it's really easy because i don't have to synchronize anything mm. and pretend like i'm <laughs> doing anything i don't have to do that like i i just queue up the next one and it rolls in and it's already synced to the tempo. And what I start to realize is, okay, I'm, I'm not doing a lot in between those times. And so, um, how can I expand this? How can I do more and how can I start to be more artistic and performing when I'm, when I'm playing? Um, and so it's, it's really fun to start thinking about that, but this is a great post. And, and I think that, um, it's, something that needs to be said. And I think people need to listen because there's a, there's a, there's a danger uh, that we have where if everyone is doing this thing, that is really not that hard as far as the performance aspect, then eventually people are going to lose interest. Eventually they are like the, the light shows can only get so big before people realize that all they're doing is going to be in a big room playing you know paying way too much to go stand here hot (laughs) with thousands of people around you to go watch someone press a couple of buttons and not really perform like they're just they're just playing it back they're not really even performing it yeah and and the thing there's a difference between djs that are the art 
of DJing is one thing that's different from being an artist that is just playing out your hits. Mm-hmm. Like oh, definitely. Carl Cox. Carl Cox is one of those DJs where he, he he's still staying true to the original what DJing has used to be all about, which was like reading the room, yeah, feeling the vibe yeah. off of the people and like building this experience for people that's that is greater than the sum of the parts, which is greater than just all the music that's being played and there's a journey that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know like even more, more people like um, Gareth Emery is about to, I don't know if he started yet, but he's doing open to close sets. Wow. In a few different cities. And I think that's great because as a DJ that allows him to be a lot more creative and not just play bangers <laughs> and not just play like his hits, but he gets to take people on a journey as a DJ whether or not he's actually performing, you know, doing stuff with Ableton or anything like that, but he's taking the DJing aspect to the full, you know, like I'm going to take people from my my artistic journey from deeper sounds to, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. different vibes that he wouldn't have been able to do if he was just headlining. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's this expectation that the headliners play the bangers and they only they play the peak the peak time, right. you know, part of the set. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting to me. And I mean, this isn't really a, a production topic, but it's so fascinating to talk about because it's it's important. I mean, I, I'm i willing to bet like a lot of producers listening to this uh, either do perform or they want to. And, you know, first of all, I, I don't think CDJs are bad. Um, I, I think Joel was a little bit maybe too critical of the actual medium. Maybe not. I don't know. But... I kind of I get that because I was when I DJed I haven't done it in a while but when I performed like there were moments where you know especially on CDJs nowadays where it's very easy to sync up a track you've got the BPM readouts and the phase on the 2000s anyway and so you sync them up you mix in and then it's kind of like oh well you have to wait five minutes until you mix the next one in so what do you do play around with filters you know and it's like it's this is what i always struggle with with um like with trance i mean you know because i'd mix techno and you can do a lot of layering and stuff like that um using the kick from another song it's really awesome when it comes to trance i find that to be a lot more difficult because um because of how melodically complex it is you can't it's hard to layer but I think, you know, in terms of trance, for example, that's where the journey comes in. You get people like Emery um, doing open to close sets or uh, Marcus Schultz doing like a full eight-hour set, which is just phenomenal. Like, what kind of DJ does that nowadays? Um, now, <clears throat> I I think, and I could be wrong here, but I feel like a lot of what Joel is talking about is these producers who rise to fame uh, very fast they haven't really done any performance before in their life and they get chucked in front of decks sure exactly um, yeah i think that's where the money is. is i mean it really is it is it is it's the way to make money and i don't know I, what's the solution though i mean well i mean the, the the main argument that he's making is that coming from a production background you should be able to come up with something a bit more creative than playing a cd when you're performing mm-hmm. that's the basic that's the basis of his argument that makes um, a lot of sense yeah i mean it's like so let me let me let me think about this this way you you're the guy who use a computer to make music 
mm-hmm. and then you're making more than you know two hundred thousand dollars for an event to play a CD. Like, mm. wait, those two things don't really line up. Like, I anyone can really do that. I mean, above yeah, and beyond yeah, has yeah. people from the audience press the button, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, like, it's not that hard, you know? And yeah, so, yeah. that's, I think, the main thing that he's frustrated about is, like, mm. this isn't computing. This You, you spent all this time developing this artist skill and this production, and then you go and you and you play CDs to to play that song out to make this money when people who, you know, I mean, people like Haywire, he's one of those guys that, that I, that I, I just keep talking about, but like he performs live. He plays, he plays piano. Like all the song, all the piano on his songs is like, is live recorded. It's not, mm-hmm. pr- it's not, um, pr- programmed. He's a very, very good piano player. And so he has a keyboard on stage with him when he plays and so like you know that it's going to be a real performance cause it's going to be live and I, I love that uh i've been seeing a lot more like when porter robinson is playing it'll have a little it'll say live next to it and i'm seeing that a lot more in festivals where the, they'll delineate between the people who are playing lo- who are actually performing and people who are just djing and i i think it's interesting that that's starting to happen more yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's really cool. I think also, um, you know, I used to uh, see complaints from like um, people, DJs who have been doing it for decades, complaining about, you know, how the industry or the scene has just, it sucks these days because no one's a real DJ, blah, blah, blah. It's a little bit elitist, but I can actually align with it. Like I get it. Yeah. Because um, back in the day, like, yeah, the DJ you know the the club dj had a massive responsibility um and they had to read the crowd and um all that kind of stuff and these days like i don't know i don't want to hate on festivals but i kind of feel like that's a lot like i remember watching um i think it was ultra music festival yeah and there's just no sense of journey you know you have one artist who comes on and they play pretty much the same energy or this even the same song sometimes as the next artist and it's where's you know where's the diversity where's the uh like i think laid back luke has a good um mm. there's a good quote from him i can't remember exactly what it is but he basically said you know my job is to educate the crowd yeah um, yeah yeah on on music that I they haven't that. heard as well love that yeah play the classics but you know educate as well and i mean that's a song selection is, is a huge part of dj and it's probably the most integral part and i think that's something joel didn't really touch on but it's still important no and i think i think this is this is kind of separating between the djs who are just djs or who are mainly djs and maybe producers second um and between those people and between the artists who are also djing uh, one of the things I was going to say is, I, I think it was who I was listening to. I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Jody Wisternoff or someone. Um, but they were talking about how in the 90s and in the early 2000s, being a DJ, you were the weird guy in the in the corner. You weren't like, it wasn't all about you. And so coming from that, coming from that uh, point of view, well, of course you're going to take people on a journey because they're not there to see you. They're there to experience this, this thing. 
And it has to be a journey. Otherwise, people aren't going to stay engaged. But now it's all about the DJ and it's all about people are coming to see you. So it doesn't really matter what you play because they're just going to they're going to go crazy no matter what it is. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. you don't have to take them on a journey. You can play your you can play all your top hits the whole time. People are going to get tired and they might be like, uh, you know, let's let's get the next guy on, <laughs> you know, but like. I think that part of that is because of the way that it's so focused. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. But the thing is, and I don't want to open a can of worms here, but it's you have to admit that most of the people that are going to festivals are going to hear the hits, right? Yeah. From artists. Now how do you Yeah. How do you kind of here's here's my opinion and it's uneducated and i know that you know this <laughs> a lot of this uh, second half of the episode is going to be a bit controversial which is good always good to uh, encourage discussion but look here's the thing i, I feel we get, we get more comments that way yeah <laughs> <laughs> i feel like um the so-called eddie and bubble has to pop before it can return to any kind of return to this uh overall like mainstream creative performance situation where people aren't just going for the hits and they're going to be educated i don't know what do you think yeah i don't know i mean i don't know if it necessarily has to fall apart completely right um and i don't know if that's at this point you know it's already been splitting as it goes anyway you reckon and so yeah i mean there's a lot of i mean because edm as a you know, blanket term over the whole range of, of subgenres and, and performance styles. I think that it's so fragmented as it is that like, yes, all these top 20 people are all doing the very similar thing with CDJs, but as a whole, like there's still plenty of people who are doing more live performance and who are doing things that are different and that aren't ever going to fit into that, into that mold anyway yeah, that like i don't think that is gonna really ever happen because it's so kind of self-maintaining and like yeah. because people like joel get so pissed off ab- about what the top 10 percent are doing that like it's gonna get more people interested in the more underground things that are happening and like developing their own way of performing like that's the thing is like the what 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 comes out of these things is people developing their own new groups and their own experiences like the festival thing has its place but like now there's more intimate like people want to be in smaller spaces so like small clubs are are starting up and things that are different experiences from what the norm is and what the festival whole thing is you know and so like yeah maybe the venture capital backed you know business ventures won't be in the same you know like they're not going to be the same in 10 years from what they are now but like people who are like us who you know are just trying to make a living out of it and not necessarily try to make millions of dollars there's still going to be plenty of room for people like us to make a living True, and to true. do like what they want with the music. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, and yeah, I was quite off the mark then. I think just thinking like the other, the other point is that 
the underground I feel is kind of making a comeback mm-hmm. um, especially with the horizon and techno and tech house yeah you yeah. know which are very old not old <laughs> but you know they're they're they've been around for a long time they've kind of stood yeah. the test of time and they're coming back totally and I mean um, I forgot who I was talking to about this but it, I wouldn't be surprised if if uh, you know underground club nights start gaining a bit more traction and festivals big feet festivals kind of lose not lose uh, complete traction but kind of um, wane a little bit yeah that wouldn't yeah. surprise me uh, because I don't know I, I kind of feel like this you know techno and tech house it's, it's music made for the club um, largely you know that's kind of where it originated from and uh, so yeah that's that's how I see it at the moment and you know with that hopefully uh, comes a, a focus on performance and, and journey and tension and energy and all that kind of stuff that you know uh, constitutes a good performer or good DJ yeah um, yeah, I, I personally am really excited to see what comes out of the next five to ten years. Oh, definitely! I think there's going to be a lot of creativity, um, a lot of new ideas, and and just um, man, it's going to be really fun to see what happens. I mean, I, I'm not at all afraid of <laughs> of the end of EDM because no, it's like, no, 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 you know, it's like, and I, I find myself lately getting deeper and getting more like mood is more important than the bass sounds you know it's like ooh, i just want to like i just want to like get in the hot tub with that sound and just like, <laughs> you know just like chill and just relax and like just groove with it, it it's just yeah. that's what i'm i've been getting into so i'm i'm really riding on what's what's been happening and you know the funny thing is like there are small changes that i'm seeing happening like oliver heldens if you if you i, I listen to his podcast and it's pretty like it's pretty deep stuff man I mean, it, he he pulls some classics up, and he he plays a lot of people's so- songs that are not well known. See, that's cool. And it's like, yeah, it's really cool. And and he's playing that stuff on main stages. He's yeah, he's and big. it's like he's really well known. Yeah, he is. But it's like, oh, this is like underground house music. This yeah, isn't yeah, like yeah. big room bangers. And like, yeah, his stuff is a little bit more. His stuff personally is a little bit more commercial. But Electro like, house, he plays that's what I call a lot it. of. Yeah, he plays. Yeah, well, it's like future electro. It, it just kind of know. it's funny to me because I I remember getting into um like when I first kind of got into DJ and I was downloading these tracks from Beatport <laughs> and they were considered electro house and they sound exactly what like what future house sounds like these days. Oh yeah, so it's kind yeah. of funny. It's just uh, I know it's an interesting observation. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Oliver Heldens. No, that's awesome. I mean. That's right. I didn't know that. I don't listen to his podcast, but I might have to start listening to it now. Uh, yeah, it's cool. It's good for a different change when you want to shift things up a little bit. For sure. Well, this has been an awesome discussion. I mean, uh, we we started on presets and we ended up talking about DJing. So yeah, that's cool. Well, thanks heaps, man. For um, yeah, man, what's going on? And uh, yeah, I look forward to talking with you next week. Absolutely. All right. Take care. All right, man. See ya. Everybody jump in.